You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, it is Super Bowl Sunday. The big game. The big game. And, well, we're not, we're not talking football. Uh, the Bucks played at 11 today, which is just the strangest thing I've ever been a part of. Um, I, I'm happy a couple people noted my actual genuine shock when I read the schedule and saw <laughs> it I was at 11 and tweeted at us. I was genuinely shocked when I looked up on Friday night that this game was at 11. Just like, okay, sure, sounds good. Um, but the Bucks win against the Brooklyn Nets 109-94 on Sunday. They also win 92-90 over the the Knicks on Friday night that for that Knicks game was at home Sunday game in Brooklyn uh, a noon start out in Brooklyn but I guess the big news and I shouldn't even say I guess I know the big news Jabari Parker's return he on Friday night Jabari has 12 points three rebounds in 15 minutes and on Sunday uh, he plays about this a little bit more than that I think it's about 17 and a half or so minutes uh, scores 11 points two assists a rebound a steal and two blocks and I, I think that's probably where we start uh, obviously we can talk about Giannis's game winner and we can talk about winning a close game and we can also win it talk about getting through maybe some injuries and stuff like that in the second game but I think we lead off with Jabari and I guess just general thoughts uh, about what you've seen from Jabari Parker and let me remind you and everyone else 32 and a half minutes that's how much you've seen of Jabari Parker. So, um, anything, uh, I just I would prefer if we don't say his defense is improved. Uh, he's figured it out. Uh, he's a great three point shooter. Like any of those, like, don't make any statements like that, Frank. Please, for the love of God, do not make any of those statements. Well, I think the main thing is, uh, I mean, I mean, there's obviously we can talk about what Jabari looked like, um, which I think generally was. Um, I thought he looked better than the last time he came back from his first ACL tear. I think that was obviously the big reference point for us in trying to calibrate what to expect was what happened the last time he came back from the same injury. And, you know, as I after I watched him on Friday, um, you know, scoring, getting hitting his first jumper, uh, you know, looking pretty bouncy, looking pretty spry. He did get rim checked on a, an up and under dunk attempt, um, which maybe, you know, he, he puts down if uh, if he'd had another month of legs under him. But um, but I think he you know, he's a guy who obviously at this point probably knows his body a lot better than he did back then. Uh, we talked about, you know, Troy Flanagan, the Bucks uh, head of, of sports science, uh, talking about, you know, Jabari's uh, quickness and and strength and being lean and, and how he sort of like 
at his be- in his best shape, you know, the, the, the old, uh, <laughs> you know, best life. shape of his life uh, <laughs> uh, thing. I mean, it seems like, you know, maybe, maybe not he's in the best shape, game shape of his life, but in terms of just uh, physically, strength-wise, um, weight-wise, um, I think actually Gary Wolf will mention that, that he asked somebody in Sedgwick was at 240, which, as we were talking about the other day, you know, he was around 250, um, you know, previous years, and for him to be down to 240, uh, I think it's great news, right? I mean, just yeah. carrying less weight, I think, is a major positive, especially given that Giannis is, you know, has really developed into a four, and he's in that similar weight range. Um, Jabari being a little, a little lighter, a little quicker, um, obviously putting less, less strain on those joints. Um, that's a positive. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I thought just Jabari, he looked like Jabari, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. and again, the Knicks and Nets are, you know, not necessarily the, the greatest benchmark for, you know, what it's going to be like big picture every night against you know high level defenses but it just seemed i mean stuff just comes easy to jabari parker and um i thought that was what was so exciting about watching him um you know just be around the basket you know being active with the ball um you know he's just a guy that you know we haven't necessarily seen him rise up and throw down a huge dunk on anybody he almost did that on kylo quinn which would (laughs) have brought the house down but uh you know, again, I think there's always, you know, probably a little bit of hesitation. Is he going, you know, as fast as he will eventually? No, but um, again, he's got just so much like, innate talent, so much innate explosiveness, um, and just to see him out there, you know, game one and game two, just getting buckets. You know, uh, Sunday, two out of four, hit his first three, eleven points, threw a couple really nice passes for for dunks. Um, you know, he just looks kind of like the old Jabari. He had a couple blocks on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he also had his first probably, uh, you know, stranded pick and roll moment. I think, uh, I think he just, comp- I think it was, um, him and Delhi. Yeah. I think, I think, I think maybe he was guarding, um, Joe Harris, I want to say. And like Harris kind of like ended up cutting through and ended up like wide open in the corner. And Jabari was just literally guarding nobody on the opposite side of the paint on one possession, but, um, you know, moved his feet well though, otherwise. And, um, Again, I think you're just mainly looking for his rhythm, his his physicality to be kind of what we expected. And, um, you know, I think, again, uh, I think the other piece, you know, why he maybe looks a little bit better now than he did in those first couple of games back in his first comeback. He's a better player now than he was then. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, he, he uh, he's coming off last year, a season which he obviously figured a lot of things out at the NBA level, how to score, how to use his talents um, more effectively. You know, coming back off after, you know, what was it, 20 some games of his rookie season after he tore his first ACL. He was really still trying to figure out how to be an NBA player. And so um, hopefully that means he can more quickly give you, you know, the the Jabari that we've we've come to know and love. Um, but obviously, you know, just getting that first weekend, seeing him not look very rusty, seeing him, you know, happy on the court, seeing yeah. his teammates supporting him. Um, and I think just the emotion as a fan, you know, I <laughs> like the idea that Giannis comes out of the game and I'm like super excited to watch somebody else, <laughs> you know, who has this just uncommon talent i mean maybe not Giannis level talent but has the kind of talent you know it's not like i'm just rooting for hey maybe sterling brown could be a rotation player you know it's like jabari is is uh is is a really special talent and to you know have the chance to see him back out there even in limited minutes to be you know going at it and and showing us you know again the his abilities i think it's just been really exciting so um yeah tough to ask for a lot more from from the jabari perspective and obviously that's really big with you know brogdon being injured um and you know obviously just 
seeing you know Giannis go down momentarily um, with an ankle injury in the fourth quarter on Sunday. Um, Matt Flask is tweeting that Giannis said he could have come back if needed. Thankfully, he didn't. Um, but you know, just you see these moments of guys getting hurt. We've seen it with Jabari. Obviously, um, you you really appreciate the chance to see these guys when they're healthy because um, you know the 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 world is cruel when it comes to injuries, especially if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan. It's funny that you mentioned just the fact that it was easier to watch Jabari this time just because he's a better player. And on Friday, um, we had talked to Michael Beasley a little bit before the game because, one, if I have a chance to talk to Michael Beasley, I'm going to talk to Michael Beasley. And, two, obviously he can kind of shed a little light on just Jabari and, and that idea. And there was one thing I'd asked him about how with his career he's kind of taken a, a, I guess a winding path to where he is. And he was a number two pick, and he always had those high expectations. And Jabari is similar in that he has had a difficult path, but he is a, a number two pick. And how do you deal with those expectations? And is there something that you need to prove? And Beasley like looked at me, he's like, I don't even know if I understand your question because Jabari scored 20 points a game last year. Like until he got hurt, he was putting up 20 a night. He's like, I, I don't know what else you would have to prove at that point. Like he can do it. And it it was just kind of when you had said that he's just a better basketball player this time around, like it's clear. It is clear that he understands the NBA game better. He understands how he's going to get his buckets better. Like He's just a better basketball player. So when he does get the chance to go against bench units and he knows he only has to play 15 minutes and he can kind of exert himself fully in those 15 minutes. Well, yeah, he's, He's going to put up some points. <laughs> like an NBA bench is just not not suited to cover him, and especially not one for the New York Knicks or uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Like those two teams just don't have a chance against him. And um, I wrote about it at ESPN Milwaukee too, but just the violence of his motions. Like he's just so violent all the time. Like even if it's just a shake from left to right, even if it's just a a Euro step, whatever it is, like Giannis I feel like is defined by just how smooth he is. Like everything is just effortless, one step into the next, and you're just kind of doing everything and it all looks pre-planned while with Jabari it's left and then right and then left and then you just feel that violence in all of his motions and and it was there from the start like uh, there was the he had that little floater over Porzingis Porzingis yeah where he flat footed him yeah and just totally flat footed because it was a hard right and then a hard left and then a floater and he was back on his heels and there's just that they're both obviously Giannis and Jabari are both freakishly athletic but it's a different type of athleticism for both of them and just seeing that i told pratik the whole day like that violence like that was what i was looking forward to and he did not disappoint throughout this weekend like that violence was there and that's why it is so important that he is leaner because if you are making such violent motions that's putting a lot of weight and pressure on your knees and obviously with someone with two torn acls in the same knee like that can be really concerning so um yeah i do agree he he looks leaner he looks just about as strong as he always was and i know in the one basket he didn't end up finishing it but i think he just went put his left shoulder i'm trying to think if it was kylo quinn or Cantor, but one of the two he just puts his left shoulder into him and he's able to get the ball up on the on the glass and it was just like yep okay um and Giannis said it after the game like there was times where you looked out there and just said 
yep, Jabari's back. Like that's that's as simple as it is. And obviously, he's got a long ways to go to start playing more than 15 minutes, 17 and a half minutes, whatever it was today. Like he he does still have a number of steps, but just the fact that in those 15 minutes you can you can feel comfortable in going to the Bucks bench. It's huge. It's so big that we've talked about this entire year. The plus minus of the starting unit has been awesome. They've been great. Their net rating has been fantastic. No matter no matter which iteration of the starting lineup it is, they have been great. And the the bench just hasn't been able to find that magic. And if Jabari is part of it, as he's getting into the the groove of finding exactly how many minutes he can go and finding some more stamina and all that, but man, 15 minutes of Jabari Parker is really helpful for an NBA bench unit. Like just to make it that much easier for scoring, it's always going to be a struggle with the bench. But if you can get an elite scorer like Jabari against a team's bench unit for 15 minutes every night, like that's really going to be helpful. Yeah, and uh, of course. Jared Allen might disagree uh, with you characterizing uh, Jabari as the violent one between him and Giannis. Uh, <laughs> considering Jared Allen has just been—I I don't know—you're you're gonna have a hard time finding two harder dunks than what Giannis yeah. threw down on Jared Allen in the past week. Um, Marcus Johnson uh, delivered a terrific line today after uh, Giannis just drove on him and just kind of quick just threw it down on his head. Uh, Marcus said that he, he put a, a, a part in uh, in. Alan's fro, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think I think that it's 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 going to be very interesting, right? Because in this sort of bench role, obviously, you know, you would love to be able to stretch Jabari out and get him more minutes right now than than you are getting. Um, you know, just to kind of get get more run. We saw very briefly, we saw a small lineup with Giannis and Jabari at the four five on Friday. I thought. To be honest, that the the scenario where they used, I think it was at the end of the first half against the Knicks when Porzingis and Cantor were in. And to be honest, I don't know if that's really the the ideal scenario for that, just because Cantor is such a load inside, and and I mean he's a tough guy for any of the Bucks big men to handle, let alone Jabari and Giannis. Um, and Porzingis obviously is you know enormous for a four, um, but certainly that'll be a fun thing to watch you know moving forward as as Jabari gets those minutes stretched out because they're going to have to play those guys all together. Um, at the big spots, you know, at some point in order to kind of make, make these, make these minutes work. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. It was, it was just a lot of fun to see, um, to see Jabari just playing on the court. And again, I I know I'm sure I speak for a lot of Bucks fans when I say it, it was just emotionally a huge lift, you know, especially coming off seeing Brogdon get hurt on Thursday. Um, what a huge lift to see Jabari back on the court, um, looking like Jabari. And again, I mean, you know, I think a lot of us are probably, you know, going to every game now nervous, right? Expecting when's the next big injury for the Bucks? When's, you know, is Jabari going to have something horrible happen to him again, right? Because we've just been emotionally struck down from the excitement we had when, when both Giannis and Jabari were, were obviously healthy. Um, so I think just, you know, savoring it, right? Savoring those moments of seeing Jabari looking like himself. And um, as you said, I think that's hugely valuable with the second unit. And I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how things change moving forward because at some point you know Jabari's minutes are going to ramp up hopefully sooner rather than later and um you know it'll be interesting to see how they how they do that you know do they get to the point where they do put him into that starting five do they continue to bring him off the bench and let him close games maybe with the with the starters um and have him play the minutes that way I don't know it, it's difficult and that's that's probably more of a 
kind of longer term concern, obviously, with him hitting restricted free agency. How does he fit with the rest of this core? Um, but I think, you know, for all the for all the hand wringing about, you know, Middleton and Bledsoe, which is understandable, right? I mean, you know, neither of those guys is is a number two option, right? On a on a championship winning team. Like I don't think anybody really is under that delusion. Um not at this point. Ju- I thought there was a chance Bledsoe might have been. Granted, like a, a poor man's like number two option, but no, he's not. Yeah, and, and but I think when you see Jabari out there, I mean, I think again, like mm-hmm. he's away, he's a ways away from being that guy's way as well. Make no mistake. Um, but you know, you just kind of are reminded, like Jesus, this guy is so talented, and you know, for a team like the Bucks, which is you know still a ways from being a legit title contender. Um, you know, the thing you have to worry about first and foremost is how do you just make sure you ha- you get talent and then how do you kind of make it work all together? And obviously there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of kind of adding talent. Um, but bringing Jabari Parker back, seeing him healthy, hopefully seeing him get back to his best, hopefully seeing him get better than what we've seen him play previously. Um, that's obviously a huge boost for this team. And then obviously figuring out how these pieces fit. That's obviously um, the big challenge for John Horst in the front office of this team. Um, any other thoughts on Jabari or, or should we talk a little bit more about these two games, which obviously were very different in terms of the ebb and flow um, Friday being a very exciting game that goes down to the wire, maybe uh, frustratingly so uh, <laughs> versus Sunday's game, which got closer than it needed to be kind of was very similar to the first Nets game in the sense that it never really felt like the Bucks were threatened even though it did get a bit closer um in the second half but ultimately obviously the Bucks come away with with two wins out of two games which is pretty important for a team that I think what they're in fifth now and I think only a game and a half out of the third seed yeah um I guess with Jabari the only thing I'm thinking about and it's similar to what you were just mentioning but how Jabari Chris and Eric all fit like, to me, that is very interesting. Um, obviously, from a contract perspective, Jabari is up uh, at the end of this year, and you have to make a decision then. Chris and Eric are that next year. So going forward, it's interesting. But this year, I think just trying to figure out how where does the ball go when, when all those guys are in? Because Middleton is the best creator out of all of those. Jabari is the best scorer. Bledsoe's probably the quickest. Uh, like, there's, and maybe Jabari has a, 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 he might have an argument for quickest with Bledsoe, but all those three bring different things, um, and all of them can be parts of a competent offensive plan. But if that plan isn't in place, if on certain days and one of their shot is off, whether that's Chris or Eric or Jabari, and they're still taking those shots and taking guys out of rhythm, like then that becomes a problem. But also, damn, like that's just nice to have three dudes that, okay, maybe they're not number two options, but all three of those guys can create their own shot. Maybe not consistently, maybe not all the time, but they do give you that threat. And it's just so much better than watching Delhi try to do it like you know what I mean like just like those are actual offensive options yeah I was gonna say it's funny because it's like as you were listening off like who's the best creator it's like I'm sure people listening to this some people are gonna say well no Jabari is the best creator because yeah. he can get the easiest shot for himself no Bledsoe is the best creator because he can create shots for himself better than Chris but he's also you know a playmaker more obviously he's a point guard I mean I think that's that that speaks to a positive in that all these guys can do a, you know more than just one thing like yep. they're not really one trick ponies um on the flip side they obviously all have their shortcomings right i mean yep. bledsoe is not the you know 
30 foot out catch and shoot bomber that you would dream of having next to Giannis clearly right I mean he's he's not that kind of guy um you know he was terrible on Friday and then was hugely important on Sunday um and I I know he's had really struggled in the like the week or two a couple weeks really before Sunday's game um and obviously a lot of people questioning how he fits and you know well you should be looking to trade Eric Bledsoe or, or at least like you know, if you're looking to make another move, he's the obvious guy um, to try to deal. And I think there's absolute validity in, in saying like, well, you know, Eric Bledsoe is probably more the Terrell Brandon than the Sam Cassell of of this iteration of the Bucks. For for fans of the uh, late '90s, early 2000s Bucks, Terrell Brandon was acquired, uh, I guess, in the Vin Baker trade, and then shuttled off um, not long after for Sam Cassell, which obviously ended up being kind of the last piece um, of that big three Bucks era team. But um, you know, I think the main thing is just. You know, these guys are all talented. Um, they can all play. They can all do stuff. I mean, all these guys um, have scored 20 points per game at the NBA level, right? I mean, yep. the Bucks have four guys now, um, including Giannis, who's obviously on a different plane. Um, but these other three guys, Chris averaging 20 a game this year, Bledsoe's averaged 20 a game in the past, um, Jabari's averaged 20 a game last year. All of them did it on above average efficiency. Um, and again, like, the, the concern is obviously a little bit of, like, well, how do you get, you know, enough touches for everybody? How do you make sure that, you know, Chris's tough shot expressed and Bledsoe taking, you know, early long twos, which drive everybody crazy? How do you you know, sort of parse those things and, and, you know, weed out the bad stuff and get to sort of this idealized version of all these pieces fitting together. Yeah. It's um, about maximizing. Like what, exactly. how do I get all the good stuff and try to limit the bad? And I, I think right. it's, it's really difficult and that's going to be a, a huge test for whoever the next bucks coaches. Like how do you put together a cohesive game plan that gets Giannis all the touches that he needs and gets him in the flow and the rhythm in the spots where he likes it, but then also manages to find those good looks for Bledsoe, for Middleton, for or for Parker. Like, all three of those need to kind of – I mean, it's – and I don't envy whoever's job that is because I think all three of those guys are very talented, but also you can kind of tell the drawbacks that each of them have. So putting that all together, I think is just going to be fascinating. So I look forward to seeing how they attempt to do it this year, like on the run, because like you don't have time. Like you don't have time to install yeah. a new offense. You don't have time to try to figure everything out perfectly, but there is time to put in some sets, put in some ways to get each of those guys involved in the ways that you like to get them involved. So I think it's going to be really, to me, it's going to be interesting and fun to watch just because to me that presents as someone who likes to think about basketball and just the game deeply, like that presents an interesting problem's the wrong word, but an interesting puzzle. Like you have to yeah. figure out how to put those pieces together. So I think it's gonna be really fun to watch. Yeah, and um, you, you know, you mentioned before the the Bucks starting five being good. So I, I think the only, the, maybe the only positive of Brogdon being hurt is that we are returning to I think a little bit more logical starting five. Now, granted, I would much rather have Malcolm Brogdon starting. Tony Snell coming off the bench, then Tony Snell starting and Malcolm Brogdon not playing at all, to be clear. Um, But I I have been very curious just to see, you know, as the sample size gets bigger on the starting five, in particular with Bledsoe, Giannis and Chris, you know, you know, how real has the success they've had with that starting five been? Um, And, you know, after today, I mean, you look at the the plus minus numbers from today, um, you know, the bench 
did not, you know, and again, this, I don't know if this really reflects the bench, you know, struggling so much as just, you know, just sort of the ebb and flow of the game. A lot of the bench guys were in when the, the Nets made their run. Um, and the starting five was all hugely positive today. Um, so, you know, on the season now, 365 minutes, the Giannis, Bledsoe, Middleton, Henson, Snell starting five, they're up at 116 points per 100, 100.3 points per 100 allowed. So plus 15.5. So, you know, again, for all the concern around, you know, in particular Bledsoe fitting in with Chris, you know, taking too many difficult shots, um, they're crazy good <laughs> when they've been yep. together. Like it works, right? I mean, and I think that speaks to just sort of the the talent winning out kind of aspect of of the Bucks roster, um, which we talked about a lot, you know, especially during J- the Jason Kidd tenure when the Bucks played well, just sort of like the roll it out and you know stuff just sort of works perspective. Um, I think today, so focusing on the on the Sunday game, maybe a little bit, you know, Bledsoe um, really tail two games this weekend. I mean, on Friday, he fouls out in, what, 20 minutes? I mean, he looked, he, he just looked slow. Sometimes I couldn't tell if it was slow. It was due to injury or due to, you know, the ankle injuries coming back forward. Sometimes just like, was he being lazy? Um, but he was terrible on Friday. Um, fouling out probably did not hurt the Bucks as much as they only had Delhi uh, to back him up. Um, you know, just just like basically, this was like. The- I mean, that if you've ever wanted a sign that you're playing bad, the fact that most Bucks fans, when Bledsoe fouled out, were like, eh, okay, like <laughs> that that should not be a reaction yeah. when Eric Bledsoe falls out with what was it four minutes left in that game? Like you should be like, oh my god, they're gonna have to go to Delhi for the final four minutes, and instead I was like, okay, this will probably work out. Like that's yeah. that if you ever wanted a sign to figure out how bad that game was going for Eric Bledsoe, that would be it. Yeah. And thankfully Sunday, um, he was much better. 28 points on 20 shots. Um, I think he had, did he have 12 in the fourth quarter? I mean, he, he had basically a bunch of shots right after Giannis got hurt to really kind of close out the game. Um, again, not that the bucks were threatening, you know, really, really being threatened, but the, the nets did get it down to, I think seven at one point, um, in the fourth quarter to seven. And then they denied the ball perfectly from everyone else on the floor other than John Henson. And after holding the ball for five minutes or for five seconds, it felt like five minutes, pivoting, he hits a jumper. Then the Nets go down and miss one. And then Bledsoe hits, a, I think, like an 18 footer or so. And then you're back down 11. Like, how, that would be the most painful way to, to come, to claw back into a game, get down seven. And then John Henson hits a eight jab step, five pivot <laughs> jumper from 18 feet. Like, God, kill me. Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily. I mean, and 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 again, I mean, Bledsoe, his shot selection after Giannis went down. I mean, nobody will accuse him of having terrific shot selection in this game, despite the results. This was definitely more of a results than process game for him. Yeah. Um, but I mean, then this is the problem, and this is obviously like part of the narrative around like the questions around Bledsoe. Obviously, is just you know the fact that he settles for shots and and all those the, these things that maybe drive you a little crazy um that that you know again like on nights like our days like today it works out 28 points on 20 shots six assists um you know plus 20 uh but you know hit three out of threes but obviously a lot of times it, it doesn't look like this um but that said Bledsoe, you know again hopefully he's getting healthier i mean that that was my big concern the last couple of weeks especially on friday it's just just guy just didn't look like he was going at full strength and for a guy like Bledsoe, I mean, if he's not physically all there, he's not skill wise guy who is just going to be able to necessarily overcome that and be a good player. Like he needs his physicality because that's what so much of his game is predicated on. Um, and again, I think, you know, also I think being able to 
stagger Bledsoe against the Giannis minutes. Um, it feels like we're seeing a lot more Delhi with Giannis. Um, Delhi going down with probably the most severe injury that we saw on Sunday. Henson tweaked his hamstring, um, came back and played well. Um, Della Vadova uh, turned his ankle pretty badly in the second half, only played 14 minutes. Um, we'll see kind of how bad that, that ends up being. He did walk off under his own power, but walked straight to the locker room. So, you know, again, this game on, I guess, Tuesday against the Knicks, you know, we'll see how many point guards the Bucks actually have. Xavier Munford um, probably wants to be ready to play uh, in that game. Um, but, uh, but Bledsoe obviously, you know, got stuff done. You know, again, scored his points. You hope that maybe this is, um, again, a sign of him being back to at least full health. And obviously there's still questions about, you know, how he fits in and shot selection, things like that. But hopefully he's getting a little bit back to, to normal. And then John Henson, um, despite, you know, again, kind of coming up lame and having to leave the game with um, – uh, with maybe a little bit of a hamstring tweak, um, 19 points on 14 shots, 18 boards, seven offensive rebounds, three assists, two blocks, um, had just a bushel of those pick and roll alley-oop finishes. Um, you know, he was obviously very good. Uh, and obviously Henson, you know, kind of the narrative around him, he, he continues to earn that paycheck that, you know, we, yep. we obviously for a long time have complained about his contract, but, um, actually, I know, don't again, remember that. I, I can't imagine. No, I don't think you could ever find a podcast where we complained. About no, that, no, never. Um, but yeah, so, so shout out to John Henson for doing that. Um, and you know, Middleton again, um, you know, I, I think, I think certainly one of the things that, that people are hoping, uh, is that with Jabari back with Giannis being Giannis Bledsoe hopefully being full strength, um, Middleton doesn't have to, uh, create his shots, which often tend to be difficult today. Seven out of 11, two out of three missed both of his free throws weirdly. Um, but 16 points on 11 shots. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people would be very comfortable with Chris shooting 11, 12, 13 times a game, um, moving yeah. forward and, and not having to take those tough shot express shots. And I think especially when you see Jabari, um, you know, with Jabari, it's like Jabari can go get you a shot pretty much whenever, and again, not that he's going to just be able to get a dunk or a layup every time, but, you know, we've seen enough from Jabari. He can go get you a, you know, medium shot express shot. You know, like if Chris is. It'll be at least having, somewhat open. Like, yeah, just exactly. with his athleticism and, the, again, the violence of his moves. Like a step back from him creates three feet. A step back, a step back from Middleton creates like a foot difference right. and like again chris is really good at hitting those shots like right let, let's not take that away from him but exactly yep. it is incredibly tough like that there's no denying that that is a really difficult shot but when jabari gets it again these aren't good shots for either like those are bad shots period like mid-range step backs are bad shots in the grand scheme of efficient basketball but jabari's are going to be more open than chris's are and, and he can get it like you said anytime <laughs> like, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a time where Jabari wouldn't be able to get something off like that and you'd have to have I don't know Kawhi Leonard on him or something like he's just that's how he's wired like he's just a scorer uh, so he can kind of figure some of those things out um, I, I guess thinking of these last couple games Henson today 18 rebounds I would have guessed that was a career high for him do you know nope. 24 rebounds against the Orlando Magic in his rookie year. 17 points, 24 rebounds, and I think seven blocks in that game. Uh, John Henson, 17 points, 25 rebounds. Oh, 25. Sorry, John. Seven Sorry, blocks in three assists for John Henson uh, on, let's see, 
April 10th, 2013. So, yeah, I would have never guessed. I ha- I totally had blocked that game out of my mind. I mean, obviously, during that year, that would make some sense, but that's crazy. So 25 rebounds. Uh, 18 was a season high, and 18 is his uh, second highest mark throughout his career. So it is, it is getting to the point where people were like – man, you, when are you going to talk about Henson again? Like, when are you going to write something about Henson? And it was like, man, I feel like I already wrote like a love note about John Henson this year. And we seem to talk about him, uh, just playing solid, but yeah, like he's been really, he's been really good for this team. Um, whether or not he's one of the 10 best centers in the league, like no, but just the fit, like just the guy that can get the things done that you need to get done defensively and offensively to set some screens. And you mentioned that huge dunk that Giannis had on Jared Allen. And if you noticed, it was an angle screen and it was John Henson at the last second flipping over to that last, flipping over to the other side. And it was the exact same scenario where Giannis got that huge dunk at the end of the first half against the Nets the first time, where he's on the left side, John flips the screen at the last second, one hard dribble with his left, and then switch over to the right and just throw it on Jared Allen's bro. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just a, a really tough play. But, again, that was created by John Henson being quick enough to get to that other side to set the screen and to give him that space. So, yeah, I, I hear all of you tweeting at me telling me that we should talk about John Henson more, but – He's just he's just solid. He's just been totally solid. Um, Do you is that is the Henson family getting in your in your mentions? Is that what, is that <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's not I, a it's not a Marquise Daniels situation. Okay, okay, um, okay. Marquise, like yeah, Marquise. By the way, I I feel like we've talked about this, but and those of you who follow us on Twitter may know about this, but to those who don't, um, if you tweet anything about Marquise Daniels on not Twitter, a, you don't. It doesn't have to be at him either. Like just no, the no, name. just mention his name. Yep. He has an alert set up he will reply to you with some sort of kind of it's he doesn't he, it's not like he he isn't aggressive about it like you can say like you know um uh pick I, your least favorite bucks like you know uh DeAndre Liggins is the worst buck since Marquise Daniels or something like that he'll like tweet back at you like you know the eyeballs emoji or something <laughs> like that like it's, it'll be very just like letting you know that he's aware but not really like going at you for it um that's like what marquis daniels does with his day now so um shout out which to if daniels. i was a retired nba dude and like i don't know if marquis daniels has managed his money well but man if i was just sitting on millions of dollars i might do that with my day like hang out go work out you know come back see my twitter mention like see people who mention me on twitter i might do that i don't know like I don't know how busy he is. That could that could be an okay part of his day. Um, yeah. By the way, I so I want to I want to talk about Giannis, especially what he did in the fourth quarter on Friday, because um, obviously I'd love uh, to talk about that. A lot of people are you know that that obviously his, his play down the stretch, including his game winning layup, is obviously you know the the, the probably the biggest storyline for this weekend, which we haven't talked about in detail. Real quick before we get there, um, Sterling Brown. Uh, Played well uh, defensively in both of these games. Uh, didn't make a shot on Sunday, 0 for 4. Did hit all four of his free throws, but um, eight boards, another steal, another block. Uh, and Friday, um, he made four out of six shots, including a three. Three steals, uh, three rebounds, and assists, nine points. Um, and managed to piss off Chris Porzingis, who lightly threw a ball against the back <sighs> of his head. Uh, and I think they, were, they got double-teched for whatever happened there, right? Um, yep. So, again... Sterling Brown just doing Sterling Brown things. And um, 
Shout out to, I think it was uh, John Heffernan. John tweeted at me this morning, lockdown Sterling Brown. And I said, there it is. Lockdown Sterling Brown okay. is officially Sterling Brown's new nickname. Well played, John. And then on the broadcast today, Jim Paschke mentioned that someone had called him Lockdown Sterling Brown on Twitter. And so I feel like that has now gained a uh, uh, a legitimizing factor now from from John and uh, and Marcus Johnson. So my hope is that uh, you know you know we we've obviously had a mixed a mixed history with. Uh, our nicknames being taken up <laughs> by Jim and, and Marcus, you know, yes. the, the Bruce brothers that, that, uh, Ooh, that, that was Marcus always yeah, used, that was um, rather than Bragro, um, obviously was always a source of, uh, of disappointment for me personally. Yeah. Um, so if, if lockdown Sterling Brown, uh, can, can take, and I feel like it should, um, thanks to John for pointing out, I, I'm, I always in my just daily life, like to refer to people with the last name Brown as downtown, whatever Brown, yep. um, but uh, but I think in this case, uh, either one could work. I mean, you know, Sterling hits enough threes. I think you could call him downtown Sterling Brown, although downtown Freddie Brown is already a nickname. So I feel like lockdown is a, is a bit more unique nickname. And I think it better captures sort of, you know, Ooh, I like it. Sterling no, Brown or, I, or like you could you could even do stare down Sterling Brown. I mean, there's a lot of sure. different. There's a lot of different flavors. Stare down Sterling Brown. That was what we saw against Jimmy Butler on Thursday. Um, but I think lockdown Sterling Brown is is the one to go with. And. Man, I think, you know, I, I feel I know uh, Dean Maniat has has often um, complained about the Bucks, and you've mentioned too, like the Bucks defenders proclivity. Not even, proclivity suggests that it actually like is a good thing, but you know, unfortunate tendency to like Nasty double down. Habit. Of yeah, of digging down off of perimeter guys to to try to double the post, even if it's just like one one pass away. Sterling, I feel like is the only guy who should be allowed to just double he's post guys it. whenever he wants because he's good at like just coming and taking a swipe and then jumping back and and then picking off like a pass. He actually seems to actually have very good instincts at it. So Sterling Brown, you're a rookie, but you know, God bless you. You've already gotten my um and a grant, granted my my stamp of approval is is functionally useless to you but um but i I feel like sterling brown i am i'm so in the tank for sterling's defense at this point that if he wants to freelance and go you know swiping at the ball wherever i'm I'm gonna roll with it It, it, he 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 just is making making it work i mean he's just his activity level um it's it's just been really good and he's kind of the opposite you know we joked it was kind of the opposite of tony snell who he did have blocks in the last two games but tony is sort of like just the positional guy doesn't really take chances doesn't get blocks and steals, you know, just sort of is like always around the ball, but like doesn't really challenge that well um, versus Sterling, who's maybe a bit more physical, a bit more volatile. Um, you know, obviously both guys can be effective in their own ways and hopefully Sterling can, you know, develop into uh, an even better defender than Tony. I mean, I think, I think he probably already is, you know, I don't think Tony's like a great defender. I think he's solid, um, versatile, and hopefully Sterling continues to develop into that sort of uh, versatile, tough minded, uh, you know, MFer as you always like to call him. I was just gonna say, like, it hurts me that it's not Sterling MFing Brown or Sterling Sterling MFer Brown, like that kind of hurts me, but lockdown Sterling Brown is pretty good. I, and someone asked me on Friday if we had a nickname for him yet. And I had said we didn't. And I, I think that fits. And I mean, I tweeted out every game when something like this happens, but Sterling Brown doing things like that's, yeah. that's the best way to describe him. He's always into something. He's always doing something. His hands are somehow hitting a pass, uh, deflecting a dribble, 
tipping a shot, like whatever it may be, like he is just around the ball doing things. And if you're an offensive player, that has to be so incredibly annoying because he's just around. And um, I, I know our friend Dean has obviously broken it down in videos before, but he's just pretty much always in the right position. He knows when he can take chances. He knows when he can't take chances. And he makes those chances count, if that makes any sense. Like there's there's very few times where he comes up empty um, when he goes for one of those. And, and it may even be just as simple as, making an offense player slightly uncomfortable on a drive. Like, he just tapped the ball. They were still able to collect it and get a shot up, but just the fact that he was in the area made it uncomfortable. And, uh, yeah, there's – I mean, uh, I mentioned last week that uh, Sterling stands were united, and they still are. Like, if you are a Sterling stand, and I I know – I think we were – I don't know if we were stands to begin with, but we were certainly leaning that way after we had talked uh, with our friend Cole Zwicker over the summer about just kind of draft prospects and stuff like that. Uh, so I think we were leaning that way because Cole loved him. And, yeah, I think uh, we're probably both all the way in um, just because he <laughs> he's just annoying and he talks junk to anyone and he's just he's just fun. So uh, hopefully that continues. All right, um, Giannis against the Knicks. I will say the fourth quarter he put on. And again, I don't even honestly I don't even know how many points he scored in the fourth quarter. I don't know how many assists. He was he, ten. I think I think he had ten in the fourth. I don't know how many. He only ends up with two assists. But it was one of those situations where I think on two or three consecutive possessions he came down ball in his hands and he on one possession pointed at chris who was in the right corner and told him to get to the left side chris came over to the left side then he ran a middle pick and roll with henson there was another possession where delhi was in the left corner and he told him to get out of there so that they could run something else and there was one other one i'm trying to think who if it was thon or john henson in the fourth quarter but it was another situation where he pointed at someone directed them somewhere and as it was happening i was like you know who would do something like that LeBron. <laughs> LeBron would do something like that. Like there was just this and again, the fourth quarter was incredibly ugly. Uh the Bucks only score eighteen points in the fourth quarter, and Knicks get sixteen. But there was just it felt like as you watched it, there was a level of control that Giannis had over the game that I think we've rarely seen him exert to such an extent. Like there's there's always sequences. There's sequences where Giannis takes over. But that, to me, felt like just minutes of the game where Giannis said, I'm the best player on the floor. This game will be played on my terms, period. There's no discussion about this. I'll bring the ball up the floor defensively. I'll be all over the place. I will be blocking shots. I will be grabbing rebounds. No one else will have an impact on either side. This is my game. I will impact everything, and we're going to win this game. Yeah, and this was not, you know, I mean, the, the final line from him, 29-11, two assists, uh, three steals, two blocks. Um, glad to see him getting steals and blocks again. Um, you know, the final line was obviously impressive, but I think he started like four out of ten from the field or so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought Porzingis did a nice job, and we talked about it going into the game, that Porzingis's length has given him problems at time. Um, they were, you know, backing off him a lot, trying to dare him to shoot. Um, in that first half, he did eventually hit one three. Um but I had moments where I was just like, 
they were so far off him and he didn't want to shoot threes that I was just thinking, hey, remember like three games ago when he hit those threes against the Nets and he was like, oh, I'm just going to shoot him from now on. And it's like, you know, that lasted like a game. Yeah, um, that wasn't so, going to be a real thing. Yeah. Um, so he's still obviously trying not to just gun away every time somebody gives him an open shot. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as the game went on, um, missed some free throws early as well, which obviously... Um, you know hurt my brain i think he was like two out of six to start but in that fourth quarter i think he went six out of six from the line <laughs> can, can i just say how much i love that people tweet at you when he misses free throws now yeah. because you've mentioned how it just makes you just sad uh that is a new highlight for me on twitter watching games not i don't enjoy seeing Giannis miss the free throws but i do enjoy that people have gotten comfortable enough with you at this point that when he misses free throws they are tweeting you I don't if if for anyone who is uh, who who is uh, watched like all of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. There's an episode, um, and I forget the. Oh, I think it's called uh, what is it? Is it called Hundred Dollar Baby? Basically, it's where uh, Charlie and Dee take steroids. And there's a scene at the end of one of the episodes. I don't know if you're familiar with this one, Eric, um, where Charlie is supposed to engage in an underground street fighting match. And he has been taking a bunch of steroids yep. <laughs> and he's eating like a sandwich wearing a hooded sweatshirt. He looks horrible. He's got like a bandage over his nose and he's like uh, alternating, like weeping and being really angry while he's like <laughs> eating the sandwich and eating like eggs and all that stuff. That that's, that's basically you. like that's me when Giannis is missing free throws. <laughs> it's just sort of this like just collision of just sadness and like rage, um, <laughs> and like I I have like smashed my fist not not smashed my fist but like I'll take my fist sometimes and like smash a pillow if there's a pillow near me I'll get like very angry because um, obviously we know he's capable of making free throws. Um, so to see him make all his fourth quarter free throws uh, in this game obviously was very important to the final margin. Um, but then also, I mean, you know, Porzingis was on him. Um, he had one play in the last couple of minutes where he had Porzingis on him on the left wing. He just attacks him, goes in for a layup. And then on that last play, um, the Bucks get another stop. And, you know, it's Gian- the ball in Giannis's hand. And they could have called a timeout, but they had, you know, Joe Prenti said they had talked about what they wanted to do beforehand, so they didn't need to, um, which I generally like not taking a timeout. Um, probably less important in a situation like that where you're just going to slow it down and kind of wait a Ooh, while. I don't know. Cause um, you could take Cantor off the floor. That's true. That's like, actually good. Cause, Cause that was the big thing was that they get yeah. the switch and then he's able to take Cantor off the dribble. Right. And basically, you know, uh, Giannis has just basically spent the last week and a half targeting uh, New York area centers, basically, to uh, to just destroy. So Jared Allen is actually a pretty good defender, and he's been just hammered a couple times on the head with dunks. Um, <laughs> Ennis Cantor, a much more well-established poor defender. Cantor obviously played very well. You know, he, he's a ton down, down low, um, got a ton of rebounds. Um, but they end up getting the switch. John Henson comes out. They get the switch, Cantor and Porzingis. And once, you know, Giannis had Cantor on him, he knew he wanted to attack. And to his credit, I mean, you know, you just watch that play over again. I think it was Courtney Lee kind of tried to dig down on Giannis right as he went into his spin move. Yep. Giannis brings the ball just high enough on the spin move that, that Lee can't smack it away. Um, and he ends up being able to go and extend past Cantor as well as Porzingis, who tried to come over from the opposite side to help um, to get that layup with 1.9 seconds left. I mean, you know, I, I said on Friday, that was a superstar win. Bledsoe was terrible in that game. Middleton was really bad in that game. Yep. 
Um, Jabari was the second leading scorer, which is not a good sign that a guy who played 15 minutes and was coming off a torn ACL is your second leading scorer. Um, but for Giannis to kind of put him on the back, uh, put him on his back uh, late was obviously big. And, you know, as much as Porzingis can cause Giannis problems, um, Giannis and, and the Bucks as a team, they – I mean, they harassed Porzingis. I mean, Porzingis had 17 points on, what, like 15 or 16 shots. Um, you know, he he had a hard time getting loose as well. And you know, I don't know uh, how I feel about their strategy to, like— Oh, the, dub, the hard doubles? Like, the hard doubles pretty yeah. much any time he was outside of the lane line extended. So, like, on the outside third of the floor, whether it was left side or right side, like, they just sent it. And there was times in the fourth quarter where I sort of hated it because it looked like they were giving up— good looks because of it but also like i don't know if porzingis is that talented of a passer and it did really yeah, i mean it, t- it took him out of out of rhythm like yeah he, I, he just did not feel good at any point i don't think he felt comfortable at any point in the fourth quarter yeah i mean i to be honest like i think if you're going to double like if you're going to double first off don't double in like the middle of the court where yeah. a guy's going to have multiple safety valves and and you don't know where the pass is going um like if i'm i'm, I'm trying to i'm not sure if, if all i know no not all of them were like this but there are a couple where they just doubled hard. I mean, and that's the thing too. Like, if you're gonna double, double. Yeah. Like, you know. Like, yeah, if, you gotta commit if, to if it. If you're gonna, if you're gonna like send a guard at Porzingis, like you gotta go hard at him because he's so tall. I mean, if you're not like really going at him, making him uncomfortable, and he's gonna, it's he's gonna nothing, make the yeah. pass. Um, but a couple of times, I think it was along the baseline, and so you at least knew there was only gonna be really like one pass he was probably gonna make. Um, and again, I, 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 you know, I think we're generally well established that we don't like doubling the post. Um, and, and, you know, we're generally pretty comfortable living with whatever guys do from the post. Um, but again, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I think the problem with the Bucks historically has not been that like they double team the post more than zero times. It's that they're just often too, way too predictable and they do it against players who you don't need to double. <laughs> that, um, that's what I was going to say. Like the big thing yeah. is like, don't double crappy guys and yeah. the Bucks do that all the time. Right. But if you're going to double, you know, Porzingis and you, you, you know that because he's up against the baseline, like where he's going to pass that at least like there's some logic in that, you know, um, especially if maybe they don't know it's coming the first time. But um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, you know, Friday we can we can certainly argue, you know, the Bucks defense got results. You know, are they now at this point where they're a well old machine? Absolutely not. Um, I think, you know, Bledsoe looked particularly bad on Friday. I mean, six fouls in 20 minutes is crazy. Um, but uh, but in general, obviously, they, there's there's a lot there defensively where, you know, they've been statistically much better of late. Are they, you know, in practice playing much better defense? Not sure. Um, they're getting a lot of three-point misses from opponents at this point, what we've talked about. And granted, they probably deserved some of that given how well team shot early in the season but um you know as you think about the next 30 games or whatever like what's sustainable that's certainly going to be an obvious one to to kind of keep an eye on yeah man it's it's interesting it's just nice to see teams miss threes um whether (laughs) whether or not the bucks have a ton to do with it and i think we've seen teams shoot a ton of open threes since joe prunty has been the coach um i don't know if that has necessarily changed just seeing teams miss them like just kind of makes you feel good like it's just a good thing to see rather than the just spirit shattering three after spirit shattering three that was so customary during jason kidd's time in milwaukee and again it's going to switch back like teams are going to start hitting open threes and there's going to be days where it is frustrating again that they are giving up this many open threes um but man it has just felt okay pretty okay to watch uh the the last week or so where people have been missing those um and yeah the 
uh, it's interesting when we talk about doubling and trapping and doing aggressive things like I, I don't want to feel like too negative about those things because I think they can be very usefully very useful when employed correctly and I think the Porzingis thing was a spot where it was employed correctly. Like you, you knew that you could take him out of rhythm, and especially with the way Tim Hardaway Jr. was shooting, one for fourteen on the night, zero for nine from three. Like you knew that if you could get the ball out of Porzingis's hands, there probably wasn't someone else on the floor that was really going to hurt you that you were really concerned about. So in those situations, being uber aggressive like ended up working and ended up being something that I was okay with. So um, just kind of interesting to watch that aggressive things aren't always bad like in themselves aren't they aren't bad but when overused or used in the wrong situations they can be very bad this was a situation where it was used in a good spot um i'm trying to think of anything well i i was gonna say thon maker catching two alley-oop dunks i would that's just where i was gonna go (laughs) um thon has i don't i don't even want to know i don't know if it's a good weekend um but a game where he made some plays uh on on friday he had a block against the knicks i'm trying to think which one of their guards it was maybe tim hardaway jr um but it was a spot where they switched i think it was till it was nilakino right oh yeah it was nilakino yeah yeah, yeah. who so, played really well i mean nilakino looked great yeah um, but, so but they did a nice job on him yeah, like so, it was a situ- it was a situation. Where I think Sterling was on the floor with Giannis and Thon, and both Giannis and Thon had switched on switched some things, and then all of a sudden Thon was on Nilakina, and it was a situation where you kind of saw him against the Raptors last year in the playoffs, where it was him moving his feet, keeping up with a smaller guy, and then staying with that guy, not necessarily stopping him from getting the basket, but staying close enough where. When that guy went up for a layup, he was able to throw it off the glass, and it was just like, whoa, I haven't seen that thon in feels like a while. Um, so th- I thought that was kind of exciting. And I-, I would just say generally he seems to be more comfortable in, in the last week or so. And, and I know in a post game or two, and sometimes when we've talked to Joe Prunty pregame or at practice, he's, he's talked about how they're trying to let thon know, like, hey, you're going to get this shot or that shot or you're going to be able to get this look and it's going to be there for you and you got to be ready to shoot it. And I just thought that in that Brooklyn game as well, there was a couple spots where uh, he was just kind of in the the short corner and he found a nice little look. There was a pick and roll with Delhi where instead of rolling, he flared out to the corner and Delhi just turned and kicked it out to Thon and it was an open three. And I think he ended up missing it, but it was – you could j- – I just think there's some general uh, comfort that Thon has right now and some general just a better understanding of what's going to happen, if that makes any sense. Like for much of the start of the season, he was just kind of all over the place trying to give his energy and trying to do everything and be everywhere. And that's not when Thon is good. Like he needs to have a distinct role and understand what's going to be happening. And I think maybe in the last week or so, they've done a better job of that with him. But Giannis did not put him in a spot to succeed. Um, <laughs> the the alley-oop that he threw, uh, he had gotten one earlier on. But wait a minute, wait a minute. That was a – I mean, it was right there, right? It was just a very um... – Oh, it was a perfect pass. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. that's not a spot for Thon to succeed. Running full speed through four Nets defenders, 
uh, and catching an alley oop from half court like that to me seems like a crazy time to to throw on an alley oop. Uh, knowing anything I've ever known about his hands, um, <laughs> with his ability to be functionally athletic, um, none of those things would suggest that throwing him an alley oop in traffic as he ran down the floor is a good idea. But Thon, I mean, Giannis put it right where it needed to be, and Thon threw it down. And uh, earlier, Jabari had ran. Uh, in, it was, I think it was supposed to be an elbow get look, but the Nets pushed him out, and then it just ended up being a high pick and roll with him and Thon. He gets Thon for an alley-oop there. And, yeah, Thon finishing alley-oops is undoubtedly a good thing. Um, so, it, but, and, he, and he should have had a third that he, like, just looked more like Thon, just couldn't catch it in, yeah. the, in the second half. But, yeah, I mean, anytime you see Thon doing that um, is a positive. And, and, again, Giannis... You know, I think back to that pass that Giannis made to to Thon in that Pistons game a year ago when he had that huge game, probably the best game of his career um, in that overtime win over the Pistons. When we still, I know you, I know you know exactly what play I'm talking yeah. about, where Giannis like just rifled a pass to him on the run, and he kind of like juggled it for a half second and got a three point play. Was that what Pistons um, in overtime? To Pistons think. overtime. Yeah, I think, yep. I think so. Yeah, and and so Giannis, uh, and again, it, it kind of makes sense given what you know about Giannis and Thon's relationship. You know, Giannis, I think is is he's cognizant of I think wanting to make Thon feel like he believes in him and giving him chances to go out and make plays. Um, even though obviously, you know, a lot of times Thon just isn't good enough to, to make them. But uh, obviously, seeing Thon do that was was positive. And I think the other thing today, um, you know, against the Nets. He had a couple of like really big rebounds in traffic. Um, the Nets again are maybe not a great defensive rebounding team, but Thon with three defensive, three offensive rebounds, um, you know, uh, had a couple of them which uh, I would describe as a man-sized rebound. Um, <laughs> and I wish we could, I wish we could call more of Thon's rebounds man-sized rebounds, which is one of my favorite terms in in the game of basketball. Um, that one he but, grabbed though on the right, I think it was what right baseline where he just yeah. sort of like. I think he ended up getting tied up, and that sucked. But like going up that high for it, I was like, "Whoa, I've never seen that before." Right, and I mean, and this is what we talk about, you know, like with Thon. It's like, I mean, anybody who's still thinking Thon has become some like you know, uh, polished scorer or whatever, like it's not going to happen, right? Like, but the reason that I, I personally still feel hesitant to just give up on the guy, even though he's been obviously kind of the, the obvious weak link in the Bucks rotation, is. If you can go out, if if you can catch alley oops, if you can pop to the three point line and make those threes in like the mid thirty percent rate, right? Which you know we've so over his career, he's he's he can do. Um, and and hopefully, hopefully, I will see him continue to pop more rather than roll because obviously he just doesn't really have a good sense of where to go on rolls. Um, and then just as you said, you know, like what you when you talked about that defensive play where he switched and and you know tracked Nilakina and blocked him, um, you know, just make those kind of plays. And, and again, it's not like you're asking him to be um, playing, you know, eight dimensional chess or something like that. Um, just just, you know, see the ball, be the ball. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, I think you, you wrote that story about Sterling Brown where, you know, Thon was saying, what did Thon say that he tells Sterling Brown? Basically, like the same two thing things, two things. You got to be able to it's defend your ass off. And I think hit threes or be able, be able to hit shots or whatever, something like that. Yeah. But those are the yeah. two things that that's Thon's. That's, that's what it. you got to do. Need, yeah, we don't need you to you know be a polished scorer, or be able to put the ball down on the floor, or make advanced moves. Like I'm, I know that's never probably never going to happen. So um, just do do the simple stuff. And you know, with Thon, like you, you see flashes at least where where maybe it can work. So anyway, we'll see. I'm again, I'm not. Uh, 
not going to say this is like any type of turning point for Thon Maker, but, uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see. And, and as we alluded to, uh, with Jabari coming back, presumably we're going to see more of lineups where, where Jabari and Giannis do play together at the four or five. Um, you know, we'll be interested to see that obviously also as one way to, to maybe marginalize Thon a little bit in the event that, um, you know, aside from just adding another big guy, which obviously has been talked about a lot and we've seen Marshall Plumley here and there. Um, I am, I will say I am curious, um, with, with Henson. I mean, when he went out with that, held his, his hammy after going out in the second half, I was surprised he came back into the game, but part of me was thinking, geez, are we going to see, you know, Thon and Marshall Plumley on Tuesday against Oof. Ennis Cantor, yeah. which, you know, to be honest, Marshall Plumley is yeah, physically stronger <laughs> Marshall Plumley probably is as well suited as any of those guys to to bang with with uh, Ennis Cantor down low, um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see just how that plays out. You know, fingers crossed, Giannis is okay. Fingers crossed, uh, Henson's okay. And obviously, with especially with Brogdon out, um, you know, we'll see with Delvadova. His his ankle looked like it might have been the kind of thing that'll keep him out um, for for at least you know a game or two. But again, he was walking off as well, so you hope that um, you hope that he he can be ready to go because certainly. Uh, Xavier Munford, I think he's been with the herd the last couple of days. Uh, yeah. He may need to get a flight to New York here. Uh, stat. It's it's kind of funny. This is going to be two straight games where, or two times in the last week where Giannis turns an ankle late in the game, opposite ankles. One was left, one was right, and I would assume he's going to play the next game. And like, there's just a part of me that just laughs at it, like how superhuman, like someone like that can be like with Delhi, it's like, uh, I don't know if he's going to be back. Like, he yeah. turned his ankle pretty good, but Giannis, it's like, yeah, he'll be back. Like he's, he'll, he'll just walk it off. And largely that's what he did today. Like he was rolling on the ground, like looked in just a terrible amount of pain. And then after those 30 seconds, he got up and walked over to the bench and they retaped him up and he, he said he could have played. Like, yeah. it, it's just funny to think like those superhuman athletes, like, yeah, they kind of are superhuman. It's yeah. just weird. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Giannis, it's sort of one of like, obviously everybody's always paranoid when any of our, our, our players, we see any of these guys go down uh, at this point. Um, and in particular, Giannis, obviously, given what he means to this team. But by the same token, like Giannis's ankles just, you know, and this is, I'm, I'm probably, everyone's going to like hate me for jinxing it. Um, but it seems like, again, like over the years, he's turned his ankles a bunch of times. And I think he's maybe missed one game with an ankle turn, yeah. a pretty severe ankle in, uh, turn. And but he always seems to just—I don't know—he's got just those rubber, bionic ankles or something <laughs> that you know. He uh, a it's amazing that given how much he jumps and strides and attacks the rim that he doesn't step on guys' feet more often. Um, and you know, thus knock on wood, hopefully uh, he continues to bounce back in the you know on the occasions he does. All right. That is our weekend recap podcast for this weekend. Bucks win 92-90 against the New York Knicks. Um, can I, do you get to call it a game winner if it wasn't? That, that's a game winner. It yeah, just wasn't a buzzer game beater. So a uh, yeah. game winner from Giannis on a spin move uh, with the left hand. Just pretty off the glass. Uh, then the Bucks win 109-94 on Sunday. Uh, I would assume uh, I mean, some of you might have missed it. Some of it, we're going we're gonna to put this podcast out at like 4 o'clock, and you're going to be shocked that the Bucks already played today, but they did. Um, and they end up winning that one, 109-94. So two wins for the Bucks. They play again on Tuesday at Madison Square Garden. 
I mean, the spot of a, a famous Giannis moment at this point. Uh, a game winner there is something about the Knicks uh, that just brings out the the dramatics. So we'll see if there's some of that again on Tuesday, but we'll have a podcast for you before that tomorrow. We will talk to you then. That was Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.